Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Hey Coach Podcast. This is your host, Eric Reyes, and this is the podcast that takes a look at business concepts taken from coaching and the athletic sidelines. As always, thanks for tuning in to my new listeners. Welcome to the team, and this is a great episode to start with because today you're going to learn everything you need to know about leadership and performance. But before we get started, please take some time, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. It moves me up in the ranks and it helps other people find the show. All right. So let me give you a little information about our next guest, James Elliott. James Elliott was not only a talented hurdler, but he was an extraordinary student. Because of this, he was able to get a scholarship for track and field at Cal Berkeley. Not only competing in the hurdles, he also majored in chemical engineering and chemistry. After graduation, he fell short of qualifying for the Olympics. And because of his injury during his time at Cal Berkeley, his backup plan of being a pilot also fell through. Good thing he had his degree in chemical engineering. James spent the last 25 years leading and managing highly effective teams in the area of engineering, maintenance, safety, quality, and organizational development. He has experience in a variety of industries, including petrochemical, pharmaceuticals, and biotech, food manufacturing, and aerospace. He also served over 15 years as a member of the auxiliary branch of the United States Coast Guard. Now James teaches internally and to others outside his organization about leadership through his high adventure leadership. Please join me in my conversation with James Elliott. James, thank you for coming on the Hey Coach podcast. Uh, This is going to be great. Yes, it's going to be great, Eric. Thank you for having me on. I want to give a shout out to Coach Brew for introducing us. He sent me an email and said, you got to talk to James. How, oh, how do you know him? Yeah, so so shout out, no free shout outs to Coach <laughs> Brew. So there's going to be something owed someplace. But no, he's a great guy and I'm glad he got us hooked up. Uh, definitely, definitely. So you have had, it seems like a couple of careers, full careers. Now you are a leadership coach, but on top of that, you are working with airlines. I'd like to get your story because you didn't start out as a leadership coach. Yeah, no, I didn't. So yeah, right now, uh, my main job is I do work for a major airline uh, doing safety management systems for their technical operations um, um, group. And, uh, and on top of that, I am a certified leadership coach and trainer. And I do coach, I wouldn't really call them clients. It's not, it's, it's more of a, um, uh, I do it on a volunteer basis, coaching, working with people, both internal to my company and external to my company, um, coaching and mentoring them in leadership and doing some training in between. But uh, it's really something I have a passion for. And uh, I guess, you know, um, starting my story here, really the leadership piece, and I'll get into the sports piece in just a second, but the leadership piece really has its... Uh, fundamental starts back when I was a Boy Scout. That's where I was first introduced to leadership, right? Um, You're a young boy, you're put in charge of a patrol of a bunch of other young boys. It's like the cat hurting the cats. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) but that's where I first started, you know, learning leadership. And uh, that was important because I think those early leadership experiences um, with the Boy Scouts helped develop what I call operational discipline, or that sort of that discipline um, to be able to uh, focus and achieve, which then played into um, my sports. So as you know, um, I ran track and field, um, started out in high school running track and was a hurdler. So I ran the 110 meter high hurdles. And in California, it was the 300 meter intermediate hurdles. And went from there, I got recruited uh, University of California, Berkeley. Uh, by coach Irv Hunt, who was uh, the assistant Olympic coach in 92 and head coach of the Olympic team in 96. So uh, he recruited me. 
and I ran the 110 meter high hurdles. My specialty was the 400 meter intermediate hurdles at Cal. And then I was on the mile relay team. Uh, so that was an awesome experience. Uh, more so, you know, of course, it's not that simple, right? So my freshman year, getting ready for our first meet, I have taken a bad fall and tearing my ACL in my left knee. And uh, obviously, I'm not running track for the rest of the season. So I had surgery, I had it repaired and started the long rehab process uh, with the intent of getting back on the track. And I did. Uh, by the following season, I was running again. And by the, my senior year, I was the champion of the California Nevada State champion in the 400 meter hurdles, uh, second in the Pac-10 uh, my senior year. The guy who won the 400 meter hurdles in the Pac-10 my senior year went on to the Olympics for his uh, home country of, uh, I believe it was Kenya. So not so bad. I got beat by an Olympian. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, no. So I had an awesome experience at Cal running track. Um, it was I, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. I think it helped shape me, not just as an athlete, but also sort of leadership, right? That working as a team, both personal goals, team goals, having based, build, building upon that operational discipline, right? To right. Um, be able to focus on goals and get things done. Right, right. And actually, you know, you went to Cal Berkeley. This isn't like uh, you're taking basket weaving, and you know art history you you went for what was it chemical yes. engineering yes my so my degrees in um chemical engineering with a minor in chemistry <laughs> yeah so uh pretty much what's considered the hardest major in the school undergrad right. major in the school and yeah it was a challenge i was one of two student athletes that were in the chemical engineering department the other fellow was a uh, gymnast uh, but uh yeah it was challenging and several times my coach looked, you know, asked me, are you sure this is what you want to do? Because not many athletes were pursuing engineering degrees. Right, right, right. So now just a quick question. I would assume then you were definitely a student athlete. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. High school, I graduated with honors. Obviously, I got into the University of California. Academics at Cal was good. I mean, I wasn't an uh, honor student or anything, but I got my degree, which was the important piece. But I, I made it through. Um, Definitely. And, and another question, just a quick thing. Did you ever think about pursuing track at the next level? I was, did. Okay. I did. So that last race, the Pac-10 Championships was my last race in college, uh, where I placed second um, behind um, Kenny Aladefa from USC, who went on to the Olympics. Uh, I missed the Olympic qualifying time or the Olympic trials qualifying time by a tenth of a second. Wow. And I looked at that saying, wow, I know exactly where I need to fix my race. I know what I need to do to shave off enough time to maybe do this semi-pro. And I started doing that. I talked to my coach and he's like, yeah, you can come work out with the team, run with the team. Unfortunately, I ran into the reality of trying to work a professional job as an engineer and trying to get off work in time to get to the track to work out with the team uh, just did not work out. Okay. So um, after uh, turning my ankle a couple of times, practically running in the dark, <laughs> uh, because we start getting into the winter time, it, it gets dark pretty quick. Um, I finally had to say, I, I, I can't make this happen. I, it's just too crazy. So uh, what did I do? I switched sports. So I decided I'm going to do triathlon. And yeah, that's so easier. That, what's that? That's easier. That's easier, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um, again, you know, I, being a 400 meter hurdler, you sort of had that, that seed of that endurance already. And so I just worked on it. I did um, sprint and Olympic distance triathlons. Um, I did a couple of half Ironmans, but I never really got to the full Ironman distance. But it was something I enjoyed. I wasn't great at it, but it was it fulfilled that need to keep that physical activity up, uh, that sort of that drive to want to compete uh, while I was working my professional job as an engineer. Right. 
That's great. So now you become an engineer. Mm-hmm. How? What's the next path? What's that next movement to where you are? Yeah, so I uh, started my career as engineer after college. Um, my intention actually going into college and uh, was I wanted to be a naval aviator. All right, okay. so I love aviation. I have a passion for aviation. Uh, when the movie Top Gun came out, that just threw gasoline on the fire. <laughs> Get it even uh, more uh, desirable to pursue that career. Uh, unfortunately, tearing my ACL my freshman year was the first strike against me um, trying to accomplish that because it turns out that a uh, ACL repair um, is a disqualifier on the military physical. At least it was back in the nineties. Wow. And uh, but to add sort of injury to insult. By the time I graduated um, from Berkeley, my eyesight had shifted just enough where I needed glasses. So I oh. didn't have that 2020 vision anymore. And this is the time before they accepted LASIK and all the other types of uh, eye correction surgeries. So, uh, but I still tried. I still applied for Navy OCS going out of um, school, but because of the knee surgery, I would have needed a waiver and I just, just didn't get in on the waiver. So I went ahead and um, glad I majored in chemical engineering. So I was able to get a job as a chemical engineer, uh, working petrochemical uh, first. And then eventually uh, from that company, worked into pharma- the pharmaceutical world and uh, worked for a couple of pharmaceutical companies. And um, from there, ended up in aerospace manufacturing. And from that aerospace manufacturing, that kind of relit that passion for aviation when I had became, I, so I became a private pilot. So I have my private pilot certificate. Awesome. And after many years in aerospace manufacturing, I had the opportunity to move as a sort of a uh, sub-tier supplier of parts to the actual airline that's actually operating the aircraft. So that's where I live now, uh, working for a major airline. And I love it. It's uh, where I want to be. I'm around aviation, I'm around airplanes. It's, it's awesome. Awesome, awesome. And then you also missed that uh, the whole stint with the auxiliary Coast Guard. Yes, yes. Yeah, so let me let me catch up with that. So yeah. uh, while I'm working my professional job as an engineer, I still have this desire to serve. So I'm like, okay, well, I can't join the Navy, can't join the DOD because the knee thing. But what about the Coast Guard? So I went and checked out the Coast Guard, went and talked to them, found out for active duty service. The uh, requirements are the same. So, okay, that's not going to work. But the Coast Guard has four branches. They've got um, the active duty. They've got the reserve. And when most people think of the Coast Guard, that's who they imagine. Uh, They've got the civilian branch. There's a lot of civilian employees with the Coast Guard. But then they've got the auxiliary branch. And the auxiliary branch are civilian volunteers, uniformed civilian volunteers. So we wear the same uniform as the active duty but we're civilian volunteers. And oddly enough, through the Coast Guard Auxiliary, you can do pretty much almost every same job as the active duty Coast Guard, except for direct law enforcement and military action, right? So we're not allowed to carry firearms, so we can't be boarding parties or or, um, law enforcement officers, but everything else. So I spent time at two boat stations, Station Golden Gate, Station San Francisco, as a crewman and engineer on their boats and also an EMT, uh, going out doing search and rescue, saving people off the water. Um, that was awesome. Lots of good memories, a lot of good experience. Awesome, awesome shipmates from both of those stations. Uh, some of them I still um, communicate with today. So that's great. It's been uh, you know a good 10 plus years since I retired from the auxiliary. So it's, uh, <laughs> um, it's good to keep those uh, connections up. Exactly. Yeah. And then also, I had an opportunity for leadership positions. So uh, I eventually became the um, commander of the local unit. They call it a flotilla. So I was a flotilla commander. And then uh, worked my way up to a division vice commander or executive officer. And from there was the national EMS, emergency medical services manager for the whole country for the auxiliary. And then the national branch chief for leadership development. Wow! And so what was great is while I'm working technically as an individual contributor in my engineering job, I've got opportunities to learn leadership and lead 
um, in this volunteer job that I'm doing parallel um, with my professional career. So awesome. it was an awesome experience. And a lot of people don't get this experience. And as you and I, you and I have talked, there's a lot of companies out there that do not properly prepare their employees for leadership. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> here I am doing it on my own, right? I've got a whole side gig that's leadership. <laughs> Eventually, uh, when I you know, came into the aerospace manufacturing world, um, I was in leadership at the time. Um, I was a man- senior manager of engineering and maintenance. Um, using all the leadership skills I had learned while working with the Coast Guard and just looking around the playing field saying, I've got supervisors and other managers working in this company that don't have the same knowledge, the same experience. Uh, They've just been thrown in the deep end of the water and they're trying to tread (laughs) and they're not doing so well. So I started teaching. I started mentoring, started coaching other people in leadership. And uh, I found that I like doing that. So uh, fast forward to now uh, working in the airline world, I do the same thing. Um, sort of as an extracurricular thing, I teach, I coach, I mentor other uh, supervisors, leaders in the organization, and uh, trying to uh, trying to make better leaders. Awesome, awesome. And your company is uh, High Adventure Leadership. So yeah, so I have a little. Uh, I wouldn't exactly call it quite a company yet. Uh, <laughs> It's a venture. It's um, I started this up. It's called High Adventure Leadership. Yes, we do have a website, highadventureleadership.com. Um, what I'm trying to, my intention with this is to provide resources for people looking for leadership. Will it turn into a consulting thing in the future? Possibly, maybe, yes. But right now, what I want is there's a lot of people out there that don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to start. And I wanted to provide a place where I could direct people to uh, resources. So the first resources, if you go on the page, highadventureleadership.com, there are, um, I have a whole page on book recommendations. So these are books I've read, books that I would recommend other people to read. And where possibly I provide the link directly to that author's website, right? So some some of the links go to Amazon because there is no author website, but where I can, I direct I direct you directly to the author. I'm not getting any finder's fee. <laughs> this is me. Go directly to the author, buy it from them. Each one of those authors is a small business themselves. Right. So go buy, and when you can, go buy the book directly from the author. Let them get all the proceeds instead of some middleman. So definitely, definitely. That's great. That's great. And and I love that because a lot of a lot of websites, when you go to people who teach leadership or do leadership training, they'll have their resources. Yes. But what I love about your website is that the books are all books that you've read that you say these these are great leadership books. And you also have podcasts. Yes, yes, I do. And again. It's not yours. You're not making anything, but you have podcasts that anybody who wants could actually just hit up the link and go to their podcast. Absolutely. I think the Hey Coach is about to uh, make that page. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the big league. <laughs> no, so, so that's the first thing is those resources. Eventually, the page will have more blogs on it. So I'm going to start writing more, put more blogs on it. And the next phase after that was, is making short videos short videos about leadership. Uh, If you go into the website, I've already got three categories that I kind of break things up into. Um, One is leading self, leading others, and then leading performance and change. Awesome. Leading self really focuses on you as a person, right? How do you define your own personal values, your own goals? Uh, Do you have values? Uh, One of the questions that I ask leadership candidates um, I'm interviewing for jobs, as I'll ask them, what are your um, core values? And most of the time, the response is um, no response. Right. <laughs> uh, yes. You know, sometimes some people, they try to, you know, fake their way through it. Uh, others really don't understand what I'm asking. And that kind of tells me that they, as a leader, they've never ta- had the time or taken the time to sit down and define what are my core values? What is the rock that I, um, that I stand on, right? That 
hey, you know what? I don't care what happens in my career. These are the values that I don't compromise. That That's that so I'll, great. That's great yeah. because in what I talk about and assert, the second part of it is stance. It's alignment, stance, responsibility, and technique. And yeah. stance is so important. Like, what do you stand for? Absolutely. You know, you can't stand for everything and no. you can't stand for one thing. So what are those core values? Like you said, what are those values that you hold dear yeah. that you won't compromise? Where's that? There's that old Aaron Kippen song that says, you got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so, so what are your, what are those values, right? So core values, also just ownership, personal ownership, personal discipline, that operational discipline, I kind of call it holding yourself accountable to your own goals and or to achieving things, right? Uh, physical fitness is another uh, personal leadership thing, right? Huge. Leadership, leaders go under a lot of stress, right? And if you're not in good physical health, you're not going to be able to deal with that stress very well, right? Also, in addition to just being healthy and being prepared to handle any stress that you're uh, having your job as a leader, just Having a good, I'm not, I don't see everybody has to look like a supermodel, right? But right. you got a good, a leader that's in good physical shape kind of has a bit of different influence than one who's not, right? You, you, you kind of, you give more of a feel of confidence to people uh, if you are in good physical condition um, as to somebody who is uh, in poor physical condition, right? Right. Um, it's, it's and, a form of influence. I mean, yes. uh, the, a fitter person or see some, um, they'll, they'll stand up more straight. They'll, they'll uh, exude more confidence in the room, right? So it's a good thing just to be fit, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, you're not wheezing when you're going up and down the stairs, et cetera. <laughs> Actually, it's funny because I used to work in the commodity exchange yeah. and we used to go to these cocktail parties. They were just more like uh, networking parties. And there were just certain people that would come into the room and just the way they walked in, yeah. you knew that person was somebody important and it wasn't a name tag or anything like that. It was just the confidence, like you said, the confidence yeah. Yeah. when they walked in and that's a learned trait too. Absolutely. You know, and, and that extends also to just your appearance in general, right? Are you dressing for the part? You know, are you, you know, I'm not saying you need to wear a suit, but are are you do you, do you look like you're dressed appropriately for the position or are you dressing sloppily? Um, you know, it's uh, it all goes into that exuding confidence uh, when you walk into a room, uh, walk into a meeting, etc. Exactly. Uh, and then another part about leading self is your own personal learning journey, right? Are you developing yourself? And and that's what I tell other leaders is. If you're if you're going to be a leader, you need to study leadership, right? Okay? Even if it's just a little bit a day, right? I read a chapter in a book. I listen to a podcast on my drive home, and that's why I provide those resources, right? Here's some yeah. books. Here's some podcasts. Here, just jump in and get started. Listen to this stuff, and then guess what? Eventually, you'll decide what you like, what you don't like, and even from those materials, you may find more materials kind of all comes together. But uh, the important part is good leaders are always learning. Right. All right. And uh, you, you've got that, you, you're, you have that natural curiosity that you want to learn, you want to find out, you want to improve. Right, right. And what I tell um, managers, other departments is your department, your people aren't going to improve unless you're improving. And at first they don't get it. I said, no, if you, if you have absolutely zero interest in, get, in improving yourself, then they're not going to have any interest in improving themselves. Right. Yeah. So, Definitely. Um, yeah. So good leaders are always learning is one of my uh, catchphrases, I guess you want to awesome. say. Yeah. Awesome. And then your sec the second part is leading others. The second was leading others. And this is really the big leadership pool, <laughs> right? Yes. yes. <laughs> so one, it's one thing to sort of learn how to lead yourself kind of get your own act together, which is absolutely important, right? You can't, you you have no, um, you have no business leading other people if you don't have your own game together, right? 
Right. Uh, but once you've got yourself together, now we're going to lead others, right? And leadership, lead, the very simplest definition of leadership is influence. It's influencing others. Now you can put more words around there, right? I'm going right. to positively influence others to achieve a goal or something. But really, when you break it all the way down, leadership is influence. And so the second part, leading others, is pretty much that's a broad and deep subject that uh, we could talk about for hours. Yes. Yeah, because um, there's different aspects to it. Like you said, that's a course in itself. That's a course in itself. And there's thousands of books written about this, right? Exactly. But what I want, what I would like to focus on, though, is that first step in leading others is building relationships. Yes. All right. So moving from somebody who is just a positional leader, I've got my title, I've got my name on the door. Now I'm getting this, I'm getting the paycheck. Well, now do you, how do you move to where you're actually starting to influence people is building relationships and to know whether you've uh, made that connection with somebody else because each relationship is individual. It's not with the whole team. Right. All right. Uh, eventually, I want to build a relationship with everybody on my team, but it's got to be done person by person. And that person is not going to, that connection is not going to be made until as a leader, I intrinsically answer three questions that every follower is asking of their leader. And those questions are, do you like me? Can you help me? And can I trust you? All wow. right. So it's yeah. me as a leader demonstrating those things. All right. Not not just uh, um, talking the talk, but I need to walk the walk on it. Right? right. That I need to build. I need to build that relationship by letting them know. Yes, I I genuinely like you. I want to ask about you. I want to ask about your family. How are you doing? It's not all business transactional, right? Um, I want to let them know I am here to actually serve them. I'm here to help you. What is what tools, resources, training, et cetera, do you need to get your job done safely? And the last part is building that trust. And usually that's the one that takes the longest, right? Right. Is uh, building trust that they know that they can count on me. They can come. They can talk to me. They don't feel they need to um, um, candy coat anything they need to bring to me, right? That we could have a good working open relationship and uh, be able to um, talk about it. It's, yeah, that's uh, funny. There was a, a kid I coached and he told me, you know, coach, I really didn't like you much, but you made me better mm -hmm. and you kept pushing me. And because of that, he became more respectful and he didn't like me. I was like, Hey, you know, I'm going to go, we're going to go out to dinner or anything like that. But yeah. that respect, because I took the time out to know him and I gave him the respect that he deserved. Yeah. And you're not going to like every, like everybody's not going to like each other. I mean, yeah. it's just nature. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You're going to have people that uh, are going to be on your team that you may inherit, right? That, you know what? The connection is just not there, right? And you you deal with those things, the, however best you, know, you need to deal with those, right? right? But you're still there for your people, right? Obviously, uh, good leadership is, office, is servant leadership, right? When, when you're the leader, you're there. Your people are actually doing the work. They're on the field playing, right? You're the leader, you're on the sideline, and you're like, well, what tools, materials, resources, training, what do you need to do your job? What, what, how can I help you get better? So. Right. I, it's funny because <laughs> just thinking about coaching, um, even in practice, we'd be practicing in the, in the rain. Mm -hmm. And if you ever look at coaches, who I think are good coaches. They're never there with like an umbrella. You know, if their players are getting wet and are drenched, the coaches are getting drenched yep. and wet. If I'm there in my umbrella trying to stay warm and, and, and warm and, and uh, not get wet and these guys are doing what are they thinking? Yeah, they're thinking the coach is more concerned about his comfort than theirs. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So if we're all together, then we're all together. That's it. That is so true. I mean, it, if you're going to be a leader, you've got to be willing to get down in the mud with your people with your people. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then that, the third part is um, leading performance. Yeah. So leading performance and change takes a little bit of a different tack. These are more what I would consider um, a lot of the more management type of skills. So you, you lead people, you manage things. Now, over years of both uh, pharmaceutical through aerospace, now uh, aviation, I've been experienced uh, many different what we call management systems. So some are safety management systems, some are quality management systems. And I found that they've got all the same type of elements. And each one of these elements are important um, skills that leaders should have in order to proactively manage their organization. And these skills include everything from being able to set policy and a vision uh, for your department or for your company or whatever the organization might be. Uh, it's establishing objectives, you know, good measurable um, objectives or goals. Uh, setting policy and standards. So, so we've talked about policy and vision, but what about procedures, standards, um, check on uh, task cards, whatever, whatever that documentation is, right? Um, because if I want good performance out of my people, I've got to have documented standards for them to follow. Uh, could you imagine running a football team where you just verbally told the plays to everybody and there's no playbook, right? And well, I told you it was red five, right? Right. What's that mean to them, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> so, so you so it's like even for football, right? You you put all your plays in a book so they have a standard to go back to and 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 refer to there. Other other pieces of it are risk management, change management, uh, training. Training is huge. And actually, I'm going to come back to that standards and training in just one moment here. Yeah. Uh, but uh, communication and awareness, employee involvement, right? Do you have uh, safety action teams or um, safety, safety committees? Or how, how do you get the employees involved uh, with the company or with the organization and getting feedback? Uh, you got to have good skills in root cause problem solving. And, and setting corrective actions. Uh, you got to be able to know how to internally audit your organization. You need to be able to uh, come up with continual improvement projects. So, so this is all these um, different skills that are kind of covered in that um, leading performance and change. Now, I mentioned the standards and the training. So I have a simple formula that I use. I say, look, the interface, right? So you've got, I've got all these management skills um, that I just described, but the interface where these really touch your people, your team, are going to be your standards and your training. And the simple formula is standards times training equals performance. All right. So you can do the math. Very simple math on the formula, right? If 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 your uh, formula or if your uh, range is zero to one, right? One being the best, zero being doesn't exist, okay? Um, if your standards are a one and your training is a one, your performance should be a one. Right. If you, you can have the best written standards in the world, but if there's no training, it's a zero, then your performance is gonna probably be zero. Right. right? Um, reverse, right? I could. If I have no standards, it doesn't matter how much training I do, the performance is not going to be there. And, you know, if uh, if they're both zero, then you're going to have some hard times coming. Exactly, so, exactly. So everything comes back to having good standards and then training those people on those standards. And so that kind of sets the tone for that whole section of leading performance and change. I, I like that. I like that. And the other thing, too, is, is that that standard and in training Mm -hmm. That's not a one-time. Oh, thing. absolutely not. No, 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 no. So let's take the training. All right. Um, so even within training, there's there's things you need, right? You need, well, what is my body of knowledge I'm training on? What is the actual curriculum of this spe specific training course or class or session? And then who's giving the training? What's your delivery mechanism, right? Um, some companies use computer-based training. Some people use, companies use live trainers. Some use a combination of both, depending on the topic and what's the most appropriate, right? Going back to the standards, 
what's a good standard? Well, it's documented. It's written in a language that the users can understand, right? So if I've got uh, mechanics uh, working on the floor, I'm not going to write a procedure that looks like a legal thesis. Right. Um, and it's also available, accessible. Right? They can go reference the standard whenever they need it. It's not locked up in a binder in somebody's office. So, you know, so, so even with the standards and training, there's important pieces of it. And then going back to the training is, well, what's my refresh cycle? And depending on what the topic is, I might have to refresh on some things more often than others. But are we constantly refreshing? The best organizations, and I can actually go back and speak toward the Coast Guard on this, training is happening every single day. Every time you get underway, every evolution, they try to work in some type of training theme into it. Right, so you're constantly working on stuff, constantly stretching yourself. It's not just going for a boat ride. So exactly, exactly. I wish more companies would do that too. Right, in their daily work, how can I engage in my people and make every day a learning experience where they're improving? Exactly, exactly. And the standards. Just going back to the standards, I was reading something yesterday, and they didn't call it standards, but. Pretty much what they were saying is, if your people aren't bored with you saying it, you're not saying it enough. Yes. Like your your team, the standards, you should be drilling it into them constantly. Oh, absolutely. It's kind of like being a parent, to tell you the truth. (laughs) Yes. Uh, (laughs) And we can get in, you know, maybe some other time we'll get into the whole analogies of leadership and parenting. But uh, if you're a leader in an organization, you walk in, you give a briefing on a topic once and walk away, they're going to forget it. All right? right. Actually, there's been a lot of research on retention, right? And if something is a lecture or just verbally spoken to you, people's retention of it is about 5%. If you have it written, you get up to 10%. If it's audio visual, you're, you're getting better. I think it's something around 20, 25%. All right. Now, if the person starts getting engaged in the topic, uh, there's demonstrations, there's hands-on learning, uh, all the way up to they're able to teach it themselves, that has a 90% retention rate. So if I walk into a room and I just read you a briefing and I walk out, and that's the only time you hear that briefing, the chances of everybody retaining that for a long time is probably zero. Wow. Now, if I'm constantly repeating this over and over and over again, people well, people tend to do what they believe they're it's important to their boss. Right. Okay. And if the boss is constantly talking about this one topic, people are going to catch on and say, that's something that's important to my boss. If I'm not doing that, then he's going to be on my case. Exactly. So that's the importance of that repetition. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So now I have a question for you. Okay. Why is it? I don't know if you even have this answer, but why is it that companies don't teach this? Like they'll promote someone to a manager. Why is that? <laughs> Eric, if we can crack that nut, <laughs> I think you put every single leadership trainer, consulting coach out of business. <laughs> um. No, uh, you're right. Uh, The analogy I have is this, is um, imagine leadership, because leadership is a skill, all right? It's a skill you have to practice. You have to get better at it. And the only way to improve your leadership is to get out there and lead. Um, I'll actually tell um, aspiring leaders, look, if you really want to learn how to lead, go find a volunteer organization and get into some type of leadership position with a volunteer organization. Because if you can lead volunteers, which is what I did with the Coast Guard Auxiliary, right? If you can lead volunteers, leading people who is a captive audience, who are employees, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's easier, right? Because what you learn is you learn those relationship skills. You build relationships. You depend on what I call the leadership hammer, (laughs) There's many people in leadership positions that walk around with their title and it's their leadership hammer and 
they'll just hit people on the head with the hammer, right? Instead right. of actually solving the problem. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, if you can lead volunteers, because you can't hit a lead, you cannot hit a volunteer with a leadership hammer, right? What happens? They leave, the, they, they stop volunteering, they leave. That's it. Okay. So, yeah. So if you leave volunteers, then you, you're going to be such a better leader in a, um, in a professional organization or a company. Exactly. But the, but the analogy I give, kind of going back, is uh, imagine leadership is swimming. And you graduate from college, you get a degree in some, some technical or uh, professional uh, discipline. Um, I'm going to use engineering just because that's my experience. But so you so you get a degree in engineering, you become an engineer, and you're working as an individual contributor, and you're doing such a good job as an individual contributor that your boss walks up and says, you know, or taps you on the shoulder, we're going to make you now the leader of the other engineers. Now, that's great. You got promoted. Awesome. Good job. Congratulations. But you didn't get promoted based on leadership skills. You got promoted based on your ability as an individual contributor. All right. What do you do now? Right. Well, what most companies do is they take um, these new leaders and they just dump them in the deep end of that swimming pool and tell them to tread water. And after some time, those who cannot tread water will eventually drown and they exit the company. Uh, And then those who are left treading the water, the company comes along and says, well, we've got a leadership development program, but it's only for the high potential employees. So we're going to pick the one, those of you treading water, we're going to pick the best ones and give you swimming lessons now. What, What have you done to the majority of the rest of the leaders out there? You've left them treading water, right? All right. They're 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 not improving. They're not getting any better, and eventually they're going to get tired and exit the company. So, uh, as companies, organizations, we need to do a better job. Um, I'm an advocate of everybody getting leadership training. Now, you know, you have some HR people out there say, "Well, that costs too much. We can't send everybody leadership training." Well, leadership training is more than the one week consultant-led seminar that you send people to off-site, okay? The actually most important part out of leadership training is coaching and mentoring by other leaders. But the sort of the conundrum you have, though, is you've got people in leadership positions who are not good leaders to begin with, and you don't want them to be the ones mentoring and coaching. So it's like, so the, the nut that we need to crack is, how do we like do a page break in the in the computer code here and be able to ins- insert a new line of code and sort of move this along, right? Um, exactly. and start developing better leaders. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and you know there was someone who said what they did is they actually sent one or two people to like a leadership training, but yeah. one of the things that they had to do was come back and then talk to a group of people and tell them what they learned. Yes. Because then on top of now, I can't just go, let's say Las Vegas. Hey, let's go to Las Vegas. We'll go to this leadership thing. We'll spend time at gambling and we'll go to the bar and stuff. <laughs> now they won. They have to be there. Yeah. They have to be attentive. And now they get to explain what they've learned. Yeah. And as you said before, in doing the explanation, it reinforces it with them. Yes. Well, so spending time about 15 years, you know, 16 years with the Coast Guard, uh, I got to see inside the inner workings, right? I got to see inside uh, both enlisted and operating, op, um, sorry, officer training. Uh, I actually went to the Coast Guard's leadership and management school, which was a great experience, uh, which, by the way, both enlisted and officers are in that class. And during that week, nobody wears a uniform. It's all civilian clothes. We don't wear rank. We're we're all equal in that room while we're taking that leadership training. It was an awesome experience. But so taking my experience and talking with other uh, veterans who have been in the the Navy and the Army and the Marine Corps, et cetera, when someone graduates either from the Naval Academy or, or one of the academies and or OCS, Officer Candidate School, 
they're expected to lead on day one. All right, they're expected to be a leader out of the gate. And in those um, courses, whether the academy or officer candidate school or even ROTC, uh, they're taught leadership, all right? Because they're expected, no matter what their job is, they're expected to be a leader day one. Well, companies don't do that. Now, right. The the, the um, corporate world doesn't quite do that, right? They, leadership is, um, like I said, lots of, lots of times companies have leadership development programs, but they're for the chosen few. They're for the, quote, high performers. Um, why are they a high performer? Because they're a good individual contributor does not necessarily um, directly translate into good leader. So exactly. And actually there are a lot of individual contributors who are awesome engineers or whatever discipline they're in. uh, But you put them in a leadership position, they completely fall apart. Right. 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 Uh, Probably a combination of not the right fit. And we never prepared them before we even put them in the position. So that kind of goes back to me advocating that we should be preparing all of our future leaders, no matter who they are, we should be giving them some type of leadership training, but even more importantly, that coaching and mentoring resources, um, primarily from their own direct leader to help develop them being leaders. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that if every company offered leadership training to whoever wants it, that one lets the the higher ups know who's seriously wanting to be a leader. Yeah. And two, those people who want to lead, they don't have to feel that pressure like, oh, you know, should I tell my boss that, you know, I want to move up? How, how is he going to take it? If it's there and they're doing it on their own. Oh yeah. Like and you said, that every everyone learns to swim. And every, then the better swimmers. Lessons. Yeah. Exactly. Then the better swimmers. Yeah. And the guys who don't go in the water, mm-hmm. we know they just want to work and go home. Yes, exactly. Yes. Let's promote the ones who are good swimmers, not necessarily the ones good at treading water. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, that that's that's uh, absolutely correct. So, well, this has been this has been great. We got so much more, and like I said, I, I think I'll, I'll definitely have you on so we can talk more about leadership. If people want to get in touch with you, how can they reach you? Um, if they want to get in touch with me, they can um, they go on my website, uh, highadventureleadership.com. It's all one word: highadventureleadership. Uh, highadventureleadership.com. Um, they can send me an email. Now that sort of links to my personal email, um, so when they get the response, it'll be my personal email coming back. Or they go on there, they can find me on, uh, I think I've got my links for LinkedIn and probably Twitter um, also on there. So they can come uh, check me out there, send me a DM um, if they want to chat, talk about leadership some more. Uh, awesome. Yeah, um, this is a topic I'm passionate about. Um, I'm still a line from Jocko Willick that uh, all your problems are leadership problems. There's nothing that we can't solve with leadership. So if, uh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'll put all that information on the show notes. And as I saw in, on your website, Jocko's book is one oh, of the absolutely. books. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Jocko and Leif. Leif wrote half the book too. Leif Babin. So yeah. 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 So I'll, I'll, I will put all that information on the show notes. And my last thing it's fourth and goal. There's a minute left on the clock. No more timeouts and the game's on the line. Give us something to leave with. All right. So here's what I'm going to leave you with. And if if you go on my website, you'll see it right there up front is good leaders are always learning. And we've talked about that already, right? You're always finding ways to develop yourself, to improve yourself, whether it's your leadership skills, whether it's some type of technical skill, whether it's your own personal fitness, good leaders are always learning. But great leaders are always returning. And what I mean by that is great leaders are always giving back. They're the ones coaching. They're the ones mentoring. Uh, the best leaders I know are good trainers. They they can teach subjects. They want to teach subjects. They want their people to learn and improve. All right. So that's that's what I give you on fourth and goal. All awesome. right. We're gonna we're gonna hit this touchdown with 
good leaders are always learning. Great leaders are always returning. Awesome. Awesome. James, once again, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And uh, success in, you know, your high adventure leadership program. Well, thank you very much, Eric. It's been great. And uh, hopefully I'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Take care. All right. As with all my guests, what a great conversation I had with James. Filled with years of knowledge in leadership and leadership training, it is great to have him on and for him to pass down some of his knowledge. Three things I got from our conversation. One is, as I always talk about, what's your core values? You know, what do you stand for? Your stance. What are those values that you will not compromise? Everyone should know what those values are. Second thing is, leadership is influencing others and building relationships. It's not all about being that boss and cracking that whip. You have to build those relationships. And the third thing is his formula, standard times training equals performance. You know, we have to have those standards in place. We need to continually train so that we can have the best performance possible. Three great keys in leadership. I'm going to put all of James's information on our show notes. If you are looking for some training, if you're looking for some place to start, his website, highadventureleadership.com, great place to start. As he said before, he puts all of the information out there. It's all free information. So please hit up highadventureleadership.com. Also, if you want to reach me, as always, you can get me at eric at heycoachreyes.com. You can get me on Twitter at heycoachpodcast. Love to hear from you. Until next time, as they always say, leaders are readers. Pick up a book today. Take care.